So, you know, summer's just about over here. And if you're a regular listener or viewer of this show, you've noticed we haven't been doing quite as many episodes lately. And because uh, we've been busy. Angelica, what has it, your summer been like? Kind of crazy. I've taken a couple trips. I just had my in-laws visiting. My dog, my little puppy almost died a couple weeks ago. She got super sick. It was kind of surprising. She's fine now. But I haven't had any time really on the weekends to sit down and watch a movie or even watch shows. And I guess summer kind of works out that way. What about you guys? You've you've gone on quite a few vacations, little trips here and there too. I wouldn't. I mean, I guess we went to Hawaii in May for my wife's birthday. We went to South Dakota and Minneapolis. I don't think that really counts as a vacation. I mean, it was fun. We saw family, but it's not like a fun trip. And I just did guys weekend out at the coast with some some basketball buddies. We're 14, 35 to 51 year olds all hanging out in a house together. Um, it was fun watching people get drunk and, you know, 14 people. 14 people. 14 people. It was a four bedroom For how, house. How long were you out there? Uh, two nights. So, but okay. three days, like Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. That's good. I feel like that's the maximum you could do like guys or girls weekend. It's like going to Vegas. Yeah. By the third day, you're ready to go home. Yeah. The, there's the debauchery can only last for so long before you, as an old person, you just start feeling terrible. Yeah. We, we start, we do girls weekend every year. And now on the second night, a lot of times we stay home because one night is too much and we have to recover. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we didn't, I mean, some, some dudes went and played golf, but that was the only time anybody left the house. We were in Lincoln city where there's a casino and a couple of guys went to the casino, but for the most part, we just hung out and played poker and watched baseball and stupid middle-aged man stuff. Just sitting around farting. Mostly, but like, you know, discreetly. We're not like disgusting. <laughs> I uh, I made carnitas for everybody on Friday. That's like my highlight is cooking for people. And I made yeah. hummus and baba ganoush for uh, Saturday night, which was a hit, I think. I smoked the eggplant in my smoker, so it had a whole bunch of extra smokiness. And Friday and Saturday, did anyone else cook or were you handling the big meals? No, other people cooked too. It was kind of like oh, I handled the main stuff on Friday and somebody made jambalaya on Saturday. And nice. we had like a kind of grazing station with my stuff on Saturday. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's some old man stuff right there. That's the thing I look forward to is everyone's yeah, going to eat my meat. baba ganoush. I love it. Same, same. I uh, Yeah, it's been a crazy summer, but we're going to get back on track with the podcast and try and do them regularly. But we're the boss, so you get yeah. what you get. And, you know, my son starts kindergarten tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. And How once are you he feeling is, about that? I, I feel good. August is in kindergarten. I mean, it makes me feel old and his he's aging so fast as kids do, you know, but like I'm excited. He's he's got a good teacher. He's got a male kindergarten teacher, which is pretty rare. And we met him yesterday and he's great. My son's been going to a preschool that mimics public school schedules. So like he's already kind of used to the whole thing. So I don't think the transition will be that hard. I think it'll be fun. And then it'll also help us get into a more regular schedule because this summer was kind of all over the place. Yeah, I think August is going to love it. Both my kids, as soon as they started kindergarten, they were in preschool too. They just felt like big kids and they just absolutely loved it. Now, are your kids at the age now where they... Where the end of or the end of summer start of school is something they dread. Yeah, I mean, I think my fourteen year old, who's in eighth grade, 
was excited to see his friends, even though he sees them in the summer, but he's just excited to hang with everyone at school. My 11-year-old is really, really dreading it and just has cried several times. So I don't know. We go back on Tuesday. I still haven't even bought school supplies. I don't even know if their pants fit them. I'm going to be doing everything last minute over the weekend because that's how I roll now. And I have to figure out in that time period how I'm going to get him to settle down and accept the fact that, you know, it happens. People get bummed out at the end of the summer. School starts. This is just the beginning. Right. I feel like once they're a week in, all that stuff goes away anyway. Yeah. And the good thing is, you know, they're out of the house more and you have a little simpler life <laughs> during the school year. I can take a nap. Yeah. I mean, I can't do that when they're at school. Although I do, you know, I see those videos where moms like drop the kids off and have mimosa parties and stuff. I actually kind of miss my kids at the beginning of the school year. Like I like my kids and I don't mind that they're home in the summer. Um, you know, my sleep schedule is kind of screwed up because of it. They go to bed so late. But I miss them when they go back to school. So I like like having them around a lot in the summer and being able to do stuff with them. Yeah, and that's what's so weird to me about those kind of jokes. Because it's like the joke is you hate your kids. Or yeah. like, you know, the old Henny Youngman, I hate my wife. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I get it. Like, they're like, oh, my kids drive me crazy sometimes. But it's always like they're taking it too far. And I'm like, Jesus, you have to go home and get wasted as soon as you drop your kids off at the first day of school. Like I, it's crazy. Like I like it, you know, this is how I felt at the beginning of COVID. I feel bad saying that because COVID was obviously a bad thing. People died, the economy collapsed, whatever. Um, but the, the one silver lining for me was that like, I had my kids home and my husband home and we just hung out together and it was awesome. I love that. Yeah. That was the silver lining. Absolutely. Seeing everybody all day long and like, you know, like when I was working in my office, I could hear them banging around upstairs having fun. And then it was my turn to take over. Yeah, you just it feels good to know they're in the same house and you're just you're doing stuff together and you don't have the pressure of everyone's crazy schedule and running around like we are now, like we've been doing all summer. We're back to the grind, right? Right. Well, the good thing when they go to school, too, is now you can finally let out those farts. Exactly. Just you don't have to wait for guys. Walk weekend. through the house, just crop dust the whole place with my dog. No one will care. <laughs> Welcome to Film Swab, the podcast where we challenge each other to watch the movies we've let slip through the cracks or stuffed into the cracks for whatever reason. I'm Nick Bull. And I'm Angelica Thornton. And this week we're talking about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Hello, I'm Howard Mirziak, founder and president of Lacuna Incorporated. Why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. In a matter of hours, our patented non-surgical procedure will rid you of painful memories and allow you a new and lasting peace of mind you'd never imagined possible. This is a hoax, right? I assure you, no. Is there any risk of brain damage? It's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss.
Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a 2004 American romantic science fiction drama directed by Michelle Gondry and written by Charlie Kaufman, starring Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet, Kirsten Dunst, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, and Tom Wilkinson, an all-star cast. This movie came out again in 2004. It uh, cost $20 million to make. It took in $74 million. It is a movie about a man named Jewel Barish who discovers his estranged girlfriend, Clementine Krasinski, has had her memories of him erased by a New York firm called Lacuna following a fight and breakup between the two. Heartbroken, he decides to undergo the same thing to erase Clementine. Partway through the procedure, he realizes he doesn't want to lose his memory of Clementine and tries valiantly to hold on to what he can of Clementine. Meanwhile, while he's asleep, the employees of Lacuna are having their own issues. Uh, Mark Ruffalo's character and Kirsten Dunn's character have sex basically on top of Joel. Um, <laughs> and a lot of things are revealed about them in the end. And uh, I think it's a beautiful movie. I saw this in the theater way back when with my wife or girlfriend at the time. I've revisited this movie several times and I think it's a really moving, interesting, engaging movie. Why had you not seen this one? I don't know. I think I was busy. I don't know. It, I think it just, you know, we talk about this all the time. I think it's just one of those tons of buzz and I just hadn't seen it. So I was just waiting for the right time. And then time slips away and you're like, oh, I've never seen that movie. Um, I liked it. I I wish it had blown me away. I think my expectations were for it to blow me away. And I think I need to watch it again. I've talked to a couple people about this and they say, oh, second time, third time. You'll just love the movie even more. I've even read a couple little blurbs about like reviewers who gave it a negative, relatively negative review, and then they went back a second time and revisited it, and they really liked it. But I did like it a lot. I thought it was great film, obviously. Great acting. Yeah, I think um, Jim Carrey and um, Kate Winslet were amazing. Uh, Jim Carrey, especially like tamping down the Jim Carreyness of himself to really reveal the emotional. He, I feel like he always has emotional um, notes underneath his performances, but he's usually so over the top with everything. You don't always see it. Take a movie like Liar Liar, for example, where it's such a ridiculous over the top movie, but you can feel the hurt he feels. And when you take away all of that, you know, Jim Carrey stuff, he's a really good actor. And you can see it in this. It's like the Robin Williams effect. Yes, exactly. Like, I am not a huge Jim Carrey fan. I don't dislike him. I'm just not. He's not one of my favorites. And I do find those Jim Carrey, like, characters to be a little bit, like, it gets a little bit old. But holy shit, how he reeled it in for this thing. I mean, that is really difficult. Um, it's... Yeah, like, like this life-changing, career-changing role for him, obviously. Yeah, and you see, it's so funny to have him against type, someone, a human being who was so effusive and out there and, you know, extroverted to just flip it and be this guy who looks like he might cry if you talk to him. You know what I mean? It, It's amazing yeah, to fragile, me. Yeah, fragile. Yeah, fragile introvert. And like, what was, I would love to have listened in on the casting discussions for this film mm -hmm. well did I, but didn't he make the truman show before this so he had already shown some emotional range i'm sure that was easier for the producer for gondry to sell to the producers yeah. this is the guy plus he's a huge star 
Yeah, that's true. They had faith in him. He showed so much promise with the Truman Show. And I, and I think, too, he was believable to me as someone that Clementine would be into. It's it's like that whole dynamic where you have someone who's really grounded and you have another counterpart who's a little more outgoing and they kind of balance each other out a little bit. And I, I think it was believable that she would be into him a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I thought... Um... I thought that he was the kind of person that she would need to latch on to because she was so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I guess Clementine's character is, I don't want to say the only problem I had with the film because it's not really a problem, but I found it very difficult to get past her problems. Like she's, she had so many problems that I found it hard to understand, like, how is he falling in love with her? Mm -hmm. How is he not distracted by all of these red flags? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, she was a, a very one-dimensional character. You know, she, the, the writer Nathan uh, Rabin for the AV Club wrote, kind of this created this name for this kind of character called the manic pixie dream girl. Have you heard this before? Yeah. yeah. So he invented this phrase. He's a great writer and she is the epitome of it. Just like this sort of crazy character that doesn't seem that realistic, who seems to exist to save the male lead. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think that they gave her some depth as the movie went along, especially and I think the framing, the way that the, the the movie was structured didn't do her a lot of favors. I think it's very effective, but it makes her seem absolutely nuts when you meet her. So, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they meet on the beach at Montauk and he's trying to avoid her and she kind of keeps poking in and poking in and like bugging him uh, effectively. And she seems absolutely nuts, but he's into her and it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then as the movie goes on, you realize that this is, them meeting again after they both yes. had this procedure. Yeah. So like they're both really messed up and they have these weird echoes of each other in their head. So yep. to me that excuse some of the thin characterization of her, because what we see of her, especially at the beginning is her really messed up from this procedure and from dating him. Yeah. It gave me a little anxiety, just like um, trying to wrap my head around her and her, like what she was about. And I've had a couple friends like that in the past, actually. Not super close friends, but people I become friends with. And then you realize, oh man, this person has some serious problems. And I'm not sure that I can give them what they need in a friendship without judging them or like, mm -hmm. I can't be there for this person. I don't think I have what it takes to, you know, just be that friend. And she reminded me of both of these people in my life who I'm not really in contact anymore. And it was, it's just too much. Um, I also feel like I needed a moment, a scene that underscored that these two people really loved each other. And I don't know if I got that. I, it, it might be something that I would pick up on during a second viewing. Um, but even towards the end of the film where, um, Kaufman gives us more, right? Everything fall, falling into place and you're seeing their history. I wanted that one moment where it clicks and you're like, okay, now I get why, why all the ups are worth the downs for this couple. Um, but 
I still was like, what, why, why do they need each other besides loneliness? I mean, they, we kind of got close when they like were under the blanket and they were being very playful. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see, like, I wanted to see a little bit more of that. You're absolutely that intimacy right. that doesn't involve like craziness, like real normal intimacy where you see someone falling in love. I, I absolutely agree. They, they they spend a lot of time showing us and they need to why they broke up. But you're right. They don't show us why they love each other. That That's a great point. And, and you know, this the scene under the blanket was great. The scene when they're on the ice and he tells her that he could die right now and, you know, because he's happy. Those are great scenes, but we needed a few more of them. Yeah. Even just one extended scene where you see them being playful and having fun because they are playful and fun kind of characters. You can see yeah. when they get around each other, you just don't get enough of it. I think that's a great point. And, you know, crazy people are fun. So they really could have played that side of her personality up. Mm -hmm. Um She's also an alcoholic, and that was a little bit troublesome that they sort of glossed over that. Like, she clearly has a drinking problem. Um, and, you know, uh, when they got into that fight, or maybe it was when, when she was listening to his recording, I think it came up, I don't remember. Um, you would probably remember. I'm like, oh, they should have touched on that a little more. A little problematic, yeah. but... I don't, know if the, I, I don't know if I agree with you. Maybe I don't know it's part of his personality to just look past it. I don't know. Or maybe, again, we don't see the good stuff or the positive yeah. stuff. So maybe part of the thing is he wants to save her. You know, it's like these these yeah. manic pixie dream girl characters are meant to yeah. save the man. Well, he's trying to save her, too, from herself. And then, you know, he can't get past his own insecurities. And he says those awful things to her. Um, not that she doesn't deserve criticism, but he goes to the worst possible thing. But that's all you see. You don't see... Yeah, that is that is the main problem with the movie. I thought that was very effective, though, that they had to listen to each other, be honest about the flaws. And you're listening to it go, yeah, I could say the same thing about my husband and people that I've been in relationships with. Nothing is perfect. There's no perfect relationship. Would I be mortified if this person were in my head? Probably sometimes when you get in a fight and you're thinking horrible things or like, I don't like this about your personality and it bugs me when you do this. I would never say that to the person, but we all have those thoughts. So I thought it was really interesting to watch that play out. You can just say it here on this podcast. Nobody's listening. <laughs> just lay it out. You know what I mean? Oh my God. You know, a lot of the things I used to complain about with my husband or when he was my boyfriend and I used to care about, I mean, we're at like the top of my, oh, this annoys me about you. I do not give a shit anymore. Mm -hmm. Like he's messy and like just, you know, isn't great about like doing things like making doctor's appointments and, oh, we got to get an oil change and all that stuff. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, I don't care. He's really good at the important stuff. None of that shit matters. I can take over that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Your perspective yeah. changes over the years. I'm like, those are so insignificant. I'm not going to be on my deathbed going, God, I wish he'd put more clothes in the hamper instead of on the floor. <laughs> God, I wish my wife would screw the lid on the peanut butter jar all the way down. So when I pick yeah, it up, it no, doesn't fall I'm going to be like, damn, he was good in bed. And I'm happy about that. <laughs> Let the laundry pile up. All right. There, see that. That's good. You've got perspective, the perspective yeah, that they didn't have. I know. I know. 
Uh, well, uh, they're younger little... than us too, I think. How old are they supposed to be? I'm 30. I'm guessing in their early 30s. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm sure that's how they probably about how old they were when they made yeah. it. So, yeah. um, let's talk about the supporting characters because that's just the main plot. The, I think the secondary plot is also very interesting. You know, focusing on the Lacuna employees who are helping him. Um, Kirsten Dunst is great in this movie. She's so like delicate and she plays that crush on her boss, Tom Wilkinson, Dr. Howard so well. It's perfect. I truly believe that she is absolutely in love with Dr. Howard. Who's this older man. Who, she's like this young, hot woman, but it didn't matter. I was like, she loves him. I, Chris, Kristen Dunst was really great in this. And that was one of the best roles I've seen her in, I think. She's an actor that I did not enjoy when I was younger. And I don't know why exactly. But now when, as a, when I see her and stuff, including the movies I saw her in then, I think she's phenomenal. And I don't know what was about her before I didn't get. But I think she does this a lot. I think she's a very sneaky, great actor. You look at her yep. work in like Fargo a couple of years ago, the show. Yep. Um, Marie Antoinette, The Virgin Suicide. She's fantastic. I just think she's really good at playing characters who seem simple on the surface, who have a lot going on underneath. And I think the yeah, fact that exactly she's a pretty going on here. blonde girl helps that kind of, you, yeah. you, you see that face and all that. And then you don't think about until you get to know her character better, that she's a real person. Mark Ruffalo is so good too. He's he's kind of got the same thing going. He's got he is so in love with her, and you can see how hurt he is, but how he still accepts her, even though he knows she really loves Howard instead. Yeah, it's so well done. Yeah, the whole time that they were partying and doing all that stuff, responsible mom Angelica was so stressed out. I I was just like, kind of like I was stressed out uh, about um, what's her face. Uh, Clementine. Yeah. Kind of like I was kind of like I was so stressed out about Clementine just making the wrong decisions. I was just like, where is this going? And I think that's good. Like they're dancing around in their underwear over his body. And I was like, this is this is going to be bad. And then Dr. Howard comes in and I did not expect that twist at all. That was fantastic. That they had that they had been having yes. an affair multiple times and, and had her memory yeah. erased multiple times. Yeah. I thought that and that you great. can't help who you are. I mean, I think that's, isn't that one of the messages of this movie? You know, you're always, yes, exactly. You're always going to be who you are. You're always going to love who you love. Yeah, that was great. So yeah, I think that secondary plot was fantastic. And can we talk about Elijah Wood for just a minute in real life and in lots of his movies, he seems like the coolest, sweetest, kindest human being. And I love it when he plays a character like this, who's so, awful and evil and just slimy and insecure yeah i think he was yeah, so good at using that little innocent boy face of his to really ramp up the evil yeah and i love how clementine rejected it because it doesn't matter if you say all the right things even if you take it from a playbook if it's not there it's not there yeah. you can't fake it right exactly and i i think that's one of the like fascinating things about ultimately about this movie is that it, it, it is making a statement that you can't change who you are. Certain parts of yourself, you can't change. 
And I think that's fascinating. I also saw that Seth Rogen auditioned for this role. Can you imagine Seth Rogen playing the Elijah Wood character? Oh, yeah, that would have been so distracting, I think. I mean, I think he can do a good job of playing down his bigness. But yeah. I agree. You needed someone kind of weaselly. And I think yes. Elijah Wood really can yeah. play that well. Seth Rogen is literally too big a character. Physically, um, his performances. I mean, I'm sure he could have toned it down. But no, this was perfect. Elijah Wood was perfect. Um Do you think that this couple will make it? You know, they decide to to give it another shot despite, you know, despite the destination that they are already know about, right? They decide to take that journey again, even though they know it could be a disaster again. Would they do that? Do you think do you think this couple in real life would do that? Would take I, the I chance? could not stop you take that second chance where they decide to do it all over again, knowing what they know. I could not stop thinking about that the next day. Yeah. I think that's realistic as far as they feel something and they know they feel something. Will they make it? I don't think it even matters. I think that the central fantasy of that ending is that, well, what if you could, what if you could Let's redo something you really screwed up and you could do it with a, effectively a clean slate because they don't remember really anything that happened. So, you know, think of that failed relationship or the thing that you could have done differently. Now you can. You don't maybe remember what the mistake was, but at least you'll, you're starting at a better place. So now the question is, when you think about can you change yourself, can you change anything about yourself, can they change the things that led them to break up in the first place? Can he let go a little? Can she tamp it down a little? <laughs> you know what I mean? Can she commit to him in a real way? And can he let loose enough to that's the question. Can they do it? Yeah. I mean, it got me thinking about like past relationships I've had and they all obviously all ended. So they weren't successful in the end. Would I do it again? Um, and my, my answer with most of them is, well, yeah, because just like having your memories erased, it changes the course of your life. Right. So it's, you know, you, you need to have these experiences in order to get where you are. But also, at the same time, I feel like relationships should not be this hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. You shouldn't. You. I, I feel you like shouldn't if, be fighting if, if all the time. It should. It shouldn't be like we got to get through this battle to get mm -hmm. happy. And I think a lot of people think they can fix things about each other, and you know they end up together. And, you know, maybe some people do work through it, but the chaos of their relationship to me, I'm looking at it thinking, God, is that really worth it? I don't care if you love the person on some level. That is a difficult life. That It's a difficult place to be, which is why ultimately I've broken up with people or they've broken up with me in the past when I'm like, this is too hard. Shouldn't be this hard. Because I feel like, yeah, you've got so much going on in your life with work and all these other things. The place you should go to find peace is your relationship with your loved one. Exactly. And then you add kids to the mix and this and that. It's only going to get more crazy. Um, you know, I don't know. There are people in relationships that are um, very explosive in this way. And I don't, I don't understand how they make it work because I want my partner to be you know, like my fuzzy blanket, 
Like if I'm stressed out about something else, they're my comfort, not, oh God, I got to deal with this. Yeah. You know? You can cuddle up with your fuzzy blanket and feel better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I, and we have all known those people who um, have those, like you say, have those relationships, but and they all seem to make it work though. So I don't know. Yeah. But, but we also don't know what's ever happening behind closed doors. The crazy ones might be the happiest ones. And the people who seem totally stable and fine might be having the most, the deepest problems. We just don't know. That's very true. Yeah. We only know what people present to us. That's very true. Yeah. Um, what, what did you think about the structure of the film? I touched on it a minute ago. Just the, sometimes I feel like movies do these kind of like flash forward, flashback things for stylistic reasons or like reasons that don't make sense. I actually feel like it really, really worked in this movie. What did you think about that? I thought it was great. And I don't think I don't think you could have structured in any other way and gotten the same effect. Um, I liked the surprises. I didn't mind the confusion at points because, I mean, that's part of the whole journey for them. So you're kind of along for the ride. Mm -hmm. You know, he's having his memories erased and they're running around and it's it's um, stressful and there's anxiety, but I'm like, well, this is this is what's going on. You know, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I agree. And the confusion you mentioned a minute ago really touches on something too. You know, thinking about this movie is based around dreams. Dreams don't typically make a lot of sense when you really think about them. There's not a lot of logic. And so for you to always be slightly off balance, not knowing where you are in time really works like dreams. Yeah, I think they did, whether it was like um, them escaping a memory and creating like a new scenario, a dream situation, or whether it was like a relatively straightforward memory, that, like a flashback we were looking at. I think they did a great job of um, it, it's what our dreams really look like, even more so, I think, than Inception. Inception was almost too glossy and pretty mm -hmm. like this this was just weird and um really accurate i mean these are the bizarre things that you see in your memories you know when they're running around and when he goes back and he turns into a kid and he's under the kitchen table that was fantastic yeah and and, and they don't like comparing it to inception right they use that, and we talked about it when we did that podcast, they use the elevator to transition from scene to scene within his dream. Well, in your dreams, you don't need that. You, you're in a room, and then suddenly you're in another room, and there's no rhyme or reason, and this movie mirrored that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I used to have a recurring dream when I was a kid constantly that I was in my apartment that we lived in in Massachusetts and then I'd walk into the next room and I was in my cousin's apartment in Athens, Greece. Hmm. And I would wake up every time so upset because I missed my cousins. And I was thinking about that during this movie. And I was like, this is what this is what dreams are like. It's like um I forget a lot of my dreams now as a middle-aged person. I used to remember them, probably because I got better sleep when I was younger. But I was like, this is like it was triggering actual dreams that I've had. This movie was triggering dreams and I was remembering past dreams because they did such a good job of illustrating what, you know, weird shit that we think of when we're sleeping. See, I don't really remember dreams much. So 
the dreams that I remember are those waking dreams where it's kind of like 6 a.m. and you're just starting to, for you, probably like 2 a.m. When you start yeah. rousing yourself up and you have these weird sort of lucid dreams, those are the ones I remember. I don't, and those are the ones you kind of control a little bit, you know? So I don't really re remember the, the real dreams, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's the really bizarre ones that stick in your memory forever. Right. And that's what we, we kind of saw that in this movie. Um, speaking of memories, we wanted to talk about, would you erase memories if you could go to a, a clinic and have them erase any memories in your life? Would you go for that? I think the easy answer is sure because we all have bad things that have happened to us. And I don't want to think about the time in seventh grade when I was in the talent show and we were doing a dance routine. If you can picture me doing a dance routine and we totally spaced out. I didn't, it was, we got laughed at by the whole school. It was one of the worst moments of my life. But if that didn't happen, other things in my life would be different. You know what I mean? And like those things make us what we are now. So I guess it depends how much do you like yourself? I feel like I like myself. I'm in a pretty good place overall. So no, I would not delete anything. I don't think. Except the time yeah. I walked in my mom changing her clothes. I didn't, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a good point. That would be a definite, like I could erase that and be who I am today without seeing mommy's ass. I, um, I have this, horrible experience when I was a freshman in high school I went to the school Halloween dance and everyone's dressing up and I have no idea why I chose this costume but it was such a mistake I was a bag of jelly beans I wore like a clear garbage bag full of inflated tiny balloons and like I had like a little tie on my head it was like a three-year-old's costume it was so bad I mean, it was a fantastic costume. Like if I'm in a costume contest, like creating this for a child. But I was a 14 year old in high school and I showed up at the dance and everyone's like in cool costumes. They're like 70s kids or whatever, you know, just awesome stuff. And it was, <laughs> it was like that scene in Stand By Me where he's in the pie contest and everyone's just laughing at him and it's just burned in your brain. That's what this was like. And people started popping the balloons, like all these upper class dudes, these assholes were like pop, pop, pop. And within 45 minutes, I was just a clear trash bag in long johns and a t-shirt. And I was at the payphone calling my mom, like, you gotta come pick me up. I made a mistake. And I'm thinking that's probably one of the worst humiliating moments of my life. I also wore the wrong dress to an eighth grade dance and I was very overdressed and it was metallic and it was like strapless and everyone else was in really like chill outfits like sundresses and it, I was new at the school so I thought it was like prom and it wasn't. Um, those two humiliating moments, would I erase those? Would I delete those from my brain? They were awful. When I think about them, I cringe. I think about it. I'm driving down the highway and I'm like, oh my God, why am I such an asshole? I don't think I did. I I don't think I would get rid of those memories, and I I just think, no. No, I mean, like I am who I am because I was a freaking dork when I was a kid, and I made mistakes, and then I mm -hmm. put myself back on course, and I turned into who I am. Yeah, I mean, 
you are we like you you i mean i i guess i guess this is the human experience we have ups and downs so you can't change it i don't i i i can't think of my worst down i guess like it involves like my parents getting divorced and my father leaving and then randomly showing up seven years later and that was upsetting but i'm like no i wouldn't change that i wouldn't change mm -hmm. anything I mean, I guess I've had a pretty okay life if I don't need to delete any of my memories, right? Right, yeah. Nothing, I mean, the trauma you're talking about is not, not to downplay your trauma here, but it's not like witnessing a murder or something. Exactly, I wasn't sexually assaulted. I No one in my family was murdered. Like nothing that bad happened. It's just stupid growing up stuff that that haunts us. But at the same time, we're like, oh well, you know. But I'm then not a douchebag because this happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then you were, and just thinking about our own kids then, and you parents want to prevent their kids from having those things. But no matter what you do, it's going to happen in some way. And you can totally. make sure that it's not as bad as it could be, but you still, you know, they, they need to experience bad things to grow as people just like we did. Yeah. And I think like some kids today are not, experiencing those bad things and and i don't know i'm not going to get into like gen z or millennials because i don't i think millennials are fine but i am um i'm a little concerned about the youth just because they're living such isolated they have the mm -hmm. helicopter parents yeah. and all this sort of yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. and i think and it, i catch I, myself doing it too i catch myself protecting my kids when i should just let them let fail. them be and experience pain and hurt and humiliation and all those things. Yeah, because it comes from a good place. It's just the wrong yeah. decision. Yeah, exactly. Or we veer too much to the wrong decision because obviously there's yeah. times you need to protect your kid. Um, another thing we had talked about talking about here was, uh, so this is a movie for me I've seen a number of times. And when I was young, this movie used to really affect me emotionally because I would think about when I had my heart broken or whatever, and just it dredged up these feelings that were so painful. Now I find as a 45 year old, it doesn't do that to me anymore. And I think maybe it's because I'm farther removed from those feelings. I haven't been broken up with since 1998. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I, I don't know. Are there movies that affect you emotionally like that? Um, I don't know. Um, not, not as far as like bringing up old heartache or anything like that, but I agree. I, even songs used to trigger me when I was younger. There was one breakup in particular that I took a long time to get over and it was, I can still like you, if I put myself in the right place, I can still feel that like heavy pit in your stomach, heart mm -hmm. is going to drop out of your body feeling um, and songs used to trigger me and movies used to trigger me, but it used to be just any people falling in love. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of any particular movie that, that still makes me feel that way. Yeah. Whenever uh, you see the video for baby got back, you just feel a little heartstring pull. Like she did have back. <laughs> no, no, maybe that's just me. No, um, no. Hmm. Is there anything else that we uh, need to say about this movie other than you should see it if you have it? Yeah, I th I think 
I would definitely recommend this movie, and I think I should see it again. I don't think one passes enough with something like this. It's pretty complex, and I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff. Well, and knowing now, too, that the, the, the shape of the movie and the structure of the movie, you look for different things, little signifiers, and yeah, you'll definitely see the movie a little bit differently. Yeah, the puzzle pieces will fall into place, um, and I won't be pausing and thinking which I did a couple times. Mm -hmm. Like I paused the film and I'm like, wait, what's going on here? So uh, I'm going to try and give it another shot. And I, I have a feeling I'll like it more the second time. Sure. Even more. I liked it a lot, but I think I'm going to appreciate it more. Uh, so I'm looking at the list of awards that this movie got too. So it was only nominated for two Academy Awards. It won best original screenplay, which makes sense. It was Kate Winslet was nominated for best actress. Which, great. Um, I, I am stunned that it wasn't nominated for editing because they did most of the effects in camera, meaning not a lot of CGI. So it was really done with shooting and editing to create the effects we saw on screen. I can't believe Jim Carrey wasn't nominated for this. And I think that's a yeah, function that's a of... a total snob. Yeah, of like Hollywood seeing him as, as Dumb and Dumber and not a serious actor. Like originally Nick Cage was up for this role. Like that was Michelle Gondry's original top choice. Nick Cage was in this movie. I guarantee you if he did a good job, which I'm sure he would, he would have been nominated for this because you know, it's a showcase role. Who won best actor that year? Do you know who won best actor that year? You know, I don't. This was Let me 2000. See. Let me click on the old, the old link. Uh, so best picture that year. I mean, is I don't know. Best picture there, Million Dollar Baby won, which I don't, which I think is a wildly overrated movie. The Aviator was nominated, which I think is great. Finding Neverland is terrible, and it was nominated. Ray is not a good movie. Sideways, I think, is a good movie. So, I, I mean, I think it's better than at least two of those nominees. Um, best actor was Jamie Foxx's Ray Charles, which, oh, fair yeah. enough, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. These awards things are so stupid because we take them so seriously, kind of, but they are ultimately pretty stupid. It's a pretty competitive year. Like Paul Giamatti was pretty great in Sideways. Like he wasn't nominated. Good year. He wasn't nominated. No, best in Sideways. No, I know, right? Exactly. It's Jamie Foxx. Crazy for Ray. Don Cheadle for Hotel Rwanda, which I haven't seen. Johnny Depp for Finding Neverland, which again I think is a terrible movie. Leonardo DiCaprio is the aviator. He was great in that movie. Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby, which I mean, that's like a legacy nomination to me. I mean, it's fine. That's but it's not. a. don't think it's a great movie. Yeah. Thomas Hayden Church was nominated for Sideways when he was great in that movie, too. But best supporting actor. So best supporting I, actor. Yeah. How did Paul Giamatti get looked over? That was a great character he played. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's, I don't know, it's just funny to me that how seriously we end up taking these things, but how also a lot of the times these Oscar movies are things that we, that disappear. When's the last time anybody talked about Finding Neverland or Ray? Yeah, and every single time we talk about people getting snubbed and we get mad and then we all agree the Oscars are bullshit anyway, so. And, they, and yet we care. It's so I funny. I know, I know. It's so screwed up. I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, anyway, what, Jim Carrey um, was great in this. Uh, that's like I, I, 
I want to watch other things that I haven't seen Jim Carrey in now because I'm, I have a new appreciation for him after this. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, I will say he hasn't been in a lot of great dramas. I think a lot of the dramas he's been in have been bad. I don't think that's his fault. You know, I think Man on the Moon is a pretty interesting movie. If you've seen that, have you seen? It's the um, Andy Kaufman biopic. Yeah, yeah. Kind of feel like I watched that, but I might have been under the influence of things. I'm not a huge biopic guy, but I think they do a good job with that one, and he's phenomenal in it. But I don't. I can't think of this and the Truman Show are the only dramas of him that yeah. I really think are yeah. top notch. But again, not because All right, of so him. You talked about um legacy oscar nomination clint eastwood next week we're gonna watch the bridges of madison county which was directed starring clint eastwood too directed by clint eastwood and of course meryl street it's it's an oldie but goodie in my opinion it's a love story it's a different kind of love story not as intense as this one as far as um you know there's no sci-fi element or whatever but if we're going, we're swinging way in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's not young people kind of in love. It's old people who are horny. It's, Yeah, exactly. I uh, I have not seen it. You know, it's not a movie that was uh, built for a, a young me. So I'm curious to see what I think of it now. I think Clint Eastwood has made some outstanding movies, so I, I'm sure it's good. I mean, Meryl Streep is unimpeachable, except for The Iron Lady, which is more to do with the subject matter yet. than I her performance. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, yeah, I look forward to it. That'll be fun. Awesome. And we will be back every week, hopefully, moving forward. Now that school's back in session and we're going to yep. settle into a rhythm here. Uh, Angelica, what do we always say at the end of the show? Love actually sucks. The movie, not not the emotion. Film Swap is produced and hosted by Angelica Thornton and Nick Vole. You can watch or listen on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow Angelica on Twitter at AngelicaKATU and follow Nick at Nick Vole. Share your thoughts on the films we discussed there and we might just read them on the show. Music by John Michael Farley and Nick Vole. <laughs>